Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The wait is finally over. More than 100 days have passed since we last got a slice of Premier League action. But it's finally coming back. On today's show, we explore whether fake fan noise is a good idea. If Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the man for Manchester United, and dive right into Marcus Rashford's heroic campaign for free school meals. I'm Ben Snowball, and I was delighted to welcome back former QPR United and England fullback Paul Parker and journalism supremo Daniel Harris for the latest edition. Enjoy. All right, everyone, it's great to welcome back Paul Parker for his third outing on the Game of Opinions at Zoom call. How are you doing, Paul? I'm fine, thank you, Ben. And for those of you familiar with our earlier work, we're also blessed with the return of Daniel Harris. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Hello, guys. Beautiful. Absolutely smashing today, except I've got neighbour again drilling above my head, so it's slightly frustrating, but we'll, we'll cope. It's lockdown-wise. So yeah, the Premier League returns on Wednesday evening with Aston Villa v Sheffield United. Bizarre because both relegation and the Champions League hang on this fixture before Manchester City take on Arsenal. Elsewhere, Liverpool are basically champions already. Just two wins will push them over the line, while any team from Arsenal in ninth upwards can have hope of reaching the top four. Paul, I'll start with you. What are you most looking forward to about the Premier League's return? I'm just going to come out and say Tottenham v Manchester United as a game. I think, to be honest, just both sides' first game after the lockdown, and it's just a it's just a perfect game just to come out. The only thing missing would be a crowd, but it's just to be interesting just to see how individuals adapt to it, none more so than Mourinho without having a crowd to work to. Daniel, you're also I'm guessing you're also looking forward to Manchester United v Tottenham, but what else are you? I'm looking forward to the game, but it's also, for me, about their just being football, about football being a presence in our lives that's there again, because it's not just about the 90 minutes. It's about everything that goes around it. It's about the excitement, the joy that football adds to our lives. And at this point, we need joy wherever we can find it. And it's not the ideal version of football. I said the last time I was on that football is not a television program. Football's a spectator sport and whole body experience of being there and all the things that surround going to the game. But uh, any port in a storm and we're in a storm and this is a pretty decent port to have. So just, just the knowledge that football is back looking after us. Yeah, you mentioned it already. It's going to be a weird spectacle. Not quite the beautiful game when which we left in March. Empty stadiums are going to create an odd spectacle. The sort we've seen in the Bundesliga and La Liga already. 
that has left TV bosses in a predicament. I'm sure you've both seen that fake fan noise is expected to be pushed on the broadcast. I just wanted to what your guys' thoughts on that. Do you do you like it as an idea? Go on, Daniel. Um, not particularly, but then I don't like silence either because football is not silent. And that's one of the reasons we love it. Football is loud. It's an opportunity to make noise. Whether, obviously, the artificial noise is not the same as as um, organic noise. So I think I don't have a strong personal preference. On my side of things, I I really don't know. I've saw, I heard it over the weekend, a few German games, and they've tried, obviously, they're working it towards given situations. And I don't know how much it... It's about the TV audience. I think the TV audience know it's not real. So I don't think they're, they're not, it doesn't make it any different for them. At the end of the day, the game is being played in silence to the players. And I think people are relating to it. Does it make any difference to the viewing for people? I don't think it does really. They know it's fake. It doesn't, it doesn't make them suddenly go, I want to watch it. But then I'm talking about German football. It might be different. If, if it's the if it's the Premier League or the Championship, it might drag them to it a little bit more. But I think the football's the most important thing about it. If the football's decent, then that will take a little bit away. And all the people who are coming out saying, "Oh, it's, if there's no fans, there's no football." Well, as we've seen already, there's no fans and there's still football at this moment in time. So you have to get on with it. The bonus is that you can sit at home and watch every single game. When has that ever happened? It hasn't. So people have to get on with it. And what I've seen, what's gone on in the Bundesliga, it's been it's been quite good. Not that I can watch a lot of it, but when I've seen, bit, seen bits of it, especially Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich seems to have stepped forward as a team. Bayern Munich have taken it on board really well. They have absolutely been so clinical in everything they've done so far. I'm quite looking forward also to hearing the players and the managers slagging each other off, which... Uh... Partly just like I'm hoping to get some of the the sledging that might go on, and also just it's interesting to hear how the players talk to each other during the game and how the manager coaches the players from the touchline. And obviously with the German football, if you don't speak German, that's not possible. Uh, but I think on reflection, I prefer no crowd noise because being able to hear what people are saying to each other is something different and interesting that we don't really ordinarily get very much of. So I think, yeah, I would... Now, on reflection, I would bin the can noise and see if we can actually learn something while we're watching it. And I think we would all have a lot to learn from hearing how Jürgen Klopp talks to his players or how uh, players organise themselves on the pitch and hopefully insult each other for our entertainment. I think as well, on the other side of it, we can look at, find out more, more about certain players as well, players who do communicate a lot with other players and players who generally don't might feel they have to as well because they know that people can hear more so they start maybe saying saying more as well I just think it's, a, it's going to be a, a moment where a lot of players are going to maybe are going to change you're going to see certain players who are wilts you're going to see certain players who are going to express themselves more and I think a, a lot of it is going to be down as well to managers to find out talking about what managers do what are people going to find out more about their managers? And I'll say this manager again, are we going to hear a lot from Mourinho with no fans behind him? Is he, we actually going to find out what exactly, what he really says to players during the game? Does he encourage players and does he really mean it? Or does he kind of encourage in a kind of sarcastic way? 
I also agree with what Paul was saying about Bayern Munich. I think that I didn't anticipate this at all because partly because they were so rubbish last season. But over the last couple of months, uh, I mean, before lockdown, they have grown into a serious team. Like the hiding that they gave Chelsea at Stamford Bridge was a very significant hiding, brutal. And it wasn't just because Chelsea aren't that good, which they're not. It's that Bayern Munich have a system of playing and players that fit it really well. I think that one of the more surprising things was um, Thomas Muller's totally reinvented himself. He used to be a guy who just, you didn't know he was playing. Oh, where's Muller? Oh, there he is, goal. But he's actually now become uh, a playmaker. Uh, he, he absolutely bossed that game. And I found it hard to believe what I was seeing because he's one of those guys and you think, what position does this bloke play in? And he's someone who you felt like in a rubbish team, he would be rubbish because he was relying on the other players to pretty much get him the ball. And then he would turn up and use that phenomenal instinct. He has that knack of reading the game to supply the final touch. But he's now become a guy who plays in front of two other very good players. I mean, Goretzka's a really good player. Uh, Kimmich is a really good player. But he was the guy who was making the play in the final third. He just became a completely different player. And also, he had the pace around him of two pro- proper wingers and then serious number nine. And Bayern looked in those weeks like they were on the way to becoming maybe the best side around. So it's not that surprising that they've now grown again in ne- this, this last bit of the post-lockdown season because they've got a team and it, and it works. And when you have a team and it works, it's, the momentum will be there. They, they've found a way. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think, yeah, Bayern Munich, Champions League looks nailed on given the, the fact they've had kind of a three-week run-up while everyone else hasn't been playing either. Um, another quirk of the Premier League, though, if we switch back to that, um, is including well, the insistence rather on social distancing and, and celebrations. Now, it seems odd that there won't be any fans, but it also seems odd that given corners and tackles will be contested in largely the same way. I just wonder how realistic it is when you've, you've scored the winner for Liverpool in the last minute to seal the title to actually have that presence of mind, that clarity to just go, hang on, lads, stay away from me. Like, we need to, we need to kind of box tick effectively. We need some muted celebrations. We need the goals we need to be scored by people playing against the team who they once supported for five minutes when they were three. Uh, and then we'll have all of these. Cynical, cynical, that one, by the way, Daniel. Yeah, but we saw it, didn't we? Kimmich scored that delightful goal against Dortmund. Um, and that should that was that was basically won the title there and then the Bundesliga. And it was, I don't know, it was just kind of it was muted, it was weird. I see for me, football is all about that passion. And if, if you're going to remove the fans, you need something. I think the um when you see the players when they're doing it, they're being quite sarcastic in their um celebrations, really sarcastic, because it, it doesn't make sense. They're jostling at corners, they're getting close to people when they tackle. They're picking people up as well. But it's this protocol thing. They have to follow it when you watch them with the masks around the sides and everything. You think, come on, you've been doing everything go prior to the game, but they have to follow, they have to follow it. And it'd be interesting to watch. There's going to be players here who are just going to forget. It's, it's, it, it has to happen. They're going to forget because it's what they've been doing for years and years. And it's when you find these people who want to suddenly these keyboard warriors have come up and want people fined or something for doing it. But those people have forgotten that when you, you get into a routine, you know, it's difficult to, to suddenly just go bang, I can't do that no more. So people have got to relate that these players are not used to celebrating on their own because it's a team game. They're not golfers or tennis players. 
the idea of it, when you score a goal, you generally go and thank the person who's put it on a plate for you. And then you celebrate together as a team because it's, it's taking to something that you're aiming to achieve, which is maybe to win a trophy, or it's getting you out of a jam you're in, which is avoiding relegation. So people want to celebrate with the people who they're working hard with. I remember your goal at Reading, where I think you did. There wasn't a lot of running around. You there was there was a stand. You stood there with with the with the arms out and uh, and waited for people to come to you. No, can I, Daniel? I love. The, do you know what? I can see why you're a top journalist because you've delivered. Top. You, you're top. You're top because of the way you've delivered that. The way I stood there waiting for everyone to come to me. No, I'm going to ruin that for you. I stood there because of me being not a consistent goal scorer. I didn't know what to do next, and and because as well. It wasn't what I was aiming to do with the ball, to be perfectly honest. I was meant to be pulling it round, trying to get it round to whip it in front of Sharpie and um, Eric. And it kind of bubbled up off the icy pitch and pinged into the near post of the keeper, who was who was um, going to the far post, waiting for the ball to be swung around. I was in shock, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> if I knew how to celebrate, I'm sure I would have got January goal of the month. <laughs> I, I think that um, I think it's interesting though that one of the reasons that we see players celebrate in the way that they do is the fact that the crowd are there and the two feed off each other and the fact that the crowd isn't there will probably help stop the players going as wild as they ordinarily would when they score because there isn't that atmosphere. You probably feel, I mean, I'm, yeah, I obviously don't know. I'm talking from total ignorance here, so bear with me. But I imagine that scoring a goal in front of an empty stand, if you then start charging over, like running in front of the crowd and standing there like this in front of an empty stand, you would feel quite silly. So I think there's less chance of the players going as wild because there's no one inciting them to that level of excitement. But surely, like seen... given like the three month build up or whatever, and like Liverpool, Liverpool score a late winner, or like, or, the, or flip it, like Paul, for example, like. Imagine Aston Villa score a last-minute winner to to swerve relegation or something. Like I know that I know the fans, the fans play a role, but for me, it just seems it seems absolutely mad that you're kind of telling players what to do. I think that at the end of the day, the players will. If, they, if there's a moment and there's something, it's something big in the, for their career, and it's something big for the club, especially maybe the position Villa in. If they get that, that you know that point that stops them get. You know, from not getting relegated, which is going to save a lot of players from taking dropping wages from because of a drop in the league. Those players will celebrate how they want because it, because it means that much. It's their livelihood. It's what they're thinking about, and they'll get on with it. And they'll take what happens after. That's you don't know what's going to happen next with emotion, do you? You've got no. I'm idea. sure we can rely on Jack Grealish to be the voice of reason. Um, well, to be honest, he won't get involved in too much, will he? Because he'd be worried about his hair getting. A little bit of a t- rough up, wasn't he? But I think the thing about the celebrations is, as far as the science goes, is that it's sort of a double barrier because all the players are getting tested all the time. So ultimately, if they do have some kind of celebratory bundle, they have all passed the test that tells us that they don't have corona. So stopping them from doing that is a barrier against a barrier that's already there. So hopefully, hopefully we'll all be all right. Yeah, agreed. Paul, you mentioned it earlier. You touched on it. Um, Manchester United v Tottenham, or Tottenham v Manchester United, rather. Uh, and we'd be loath to do a podcast on the Premier League's return without diving into your old club. But first, before we do dive into the actual football, we do need to mention Marcus Rashford. Um, Daniel, I've seen you tweeting this morning, yesterday evening, about getting the bloke on the national curriculum uh, as he continues to fight for free school meals. 
I just want to. I just wondered, given the lad is twenty two. I mean, how impressive is it that he's doing this? Um, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, on the one hand, it feels weird to find it surprising or impressive in some way when human shows humanity. But the fact is, is Marcus Rashford is so young. And if you think about, I certainly think about what I was like when I was twenty two. I had other concerns beyond this, beyond saving the world, without the aggravating factors of talent and wealth. Whereas Marcus Rashford has all of that, and it would be very easy for him to say, I grew up without, and now I'm just going to sort out my family and leave it at that and enjoy myself. But the fact that he is basically in loco governmentis at the moment, and we shouldn't forget that however amazing Marcus Rashford is, and and he is very amazing, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that the stuff that he is providing should not be necessary because that's what we have a government for, and that's why we pay our taxes. But what he's doing and the grace and humility and joy and love with which he's doing it is inspirational and should be inspirational to everyone. Paul, what have you made of made of Marcus Rashford's contributions? I mean, he's done something which which no one's really got gone on about. It's something that was sitting there and now it's been brought to light, hasn't it? And all of a sudden everyone's thinking, wow, they're thinking, great, what a great idea. But it was something was there when in theory, the people before him, before Marcus Rashford, or should have thought, should have known about it. It is difficult. Life is difficult for a lot of people. And he's gone into an area which needed a lot of help. And what he's done has been very, very important for Manchester. And it's great that he's doing it for that area. He's looking after where he's from, really. And that's good that a player is actually doing that. I don't think he, he's that kind of lad. And I don't know him. But what I've heard about him and, and what I, well, I can judge him when I see him on the park, He's not one of them ones who's looking for any. He didn't just do it to get something out there. He did it for a real reason. Everything about him says he did it for a real reason. And that, that makes it even better, to be honest, really, because he's just looking where he's from in Manchester. It's maybe He's knowing maybe a lot of kids who have been in that position. And I think that it's also really significant because if you remember at the beginning of lockdown, you had Matt Hancock, the health secretary, oh. calling out footballers. And again, like footballers are not there to replace taxes or to do the government's job. And in addition to that, there are people and corporations who are earning way, way more than what footballers do. And what it really seemed like was football is basically one of the only, and sport, one of the only meritocracies in the world, whereby there's a reason why footballers and sportsmen, why there are so many players of colour and so many people from working class backgrounds, because you cannot shut them out of sport because it is very obvious how good you are at sport. Whereas if you look in boardrooms throughout the country, if you look at the cabinet, how well someone does in their jobs is much less measurable and much less obvious to people to see, which means that you have bias and unconscious bias operating that prevents working class people, that prevents people of colour from taking high office in, in in these arenas. Whereas in sport, sport is much more of a meritocracy. So the people that do well in sport are working class often because working class people are talented and people of colour and because people of colour are talented and the structures that prevent those people from advancing themselves in the majority of arenas that operate in our society cannot operate in sport because what they do is obvious and measurable. So for Matt Hancock to go after footballers in particular was not him just going after footballers as a particular kind of employment but it was going after particular kinds of people as well and instead of appreciating why football is special and why football is different 
he was attacking those people. And for Marcus Rashford to now go and do all the things that Matt Hancock's government should be doing is not just making a beautiful charitable contribution, he's making a political statement as well. And the, political, and the strength of that political statement and the content of that political statement should not be lost on us and it should not be lost on the government either. Paul, you've mentioned it before. We did we did a blog, I don't know, whenever Matt Hancock spoke the first time where we obviously he was using football as a punch bag and then Jordan Henderson came out with players together and now obviously Marcus Marcus Rashford. How how frustrating is it, obviously, your your profession being kind of almost dragged through the mud like this? I think I have to say, first of all, Marcus Rashford was doing something prior to Matt Hancock's statement. He was doing it and he, and he wasn't making a song and dance of it. He didn't, it wasn't warranted. And he's, uh, I assume on his part, to go out there and tell people what I'm doing. What we have to say is that Jordan Henderson was reactive to that situation, what Matt Hancock come out and said, that football is used as a punch bag. That's what football's used, and people hit it, hit it when it, hit, always look to hit football when it suits. And that's, and that, on that point is the fact of when things are good, people want to throw footballers in use them and use them for profile. The moment things are bad, then they want to sling mud at want to sling mud at them at football. Footballers, football in general, talks about the Premier League starting again. And all of a sudden you're seeing all the people in there about Premier League. It's all about the money and this. And yes, football is about money, but life is about money. Life is about money, without a shadow of a doubt. But football as well was the Premier League starting and the championship starting, in my opinion which I'm strongly believing it. Yes, it's important. The players needed to go back to work. I believe that people in general needed sport to start again. They needed something to look forward to, as mentioned in a completely different way to me. But Daniel mentioned that earlier about how sport is needed, how football is needed. The reason why it was coming back was going to be so good for people. And the people out there didn't look at the long the long game in football. It's not just the fact that the players are playing. They're all the other significant businesses below that that rely on Premier League football and Championship football to be played needed that as well for them to start their bit to get their businesses going to get a good feel factor for that for people it's bad enough for me and I've been very very fortunate in my life but I'm sitting around here and I was missing doing co-commentaries no football on TV I couldn't even it wasn't a case of I couldn't get work and I'm sitting having to watch games I couldn't get to work because there was no games and it was it was bothering me it was bothering me. I couldn't go to the gym as I go to the gym every single day. That was bothering me. I've never been in that situation before. So I was. I believe that footballers were sitting around going, I want to play. And if someone wants to do something, we should understand that rather than keep talking negative about them, about the game being played. So Matt Hancock coming out and saying what he said, he was just using that to try and give himself more points, to get more followers, to everyone to come out and say, well done, Matt having a go at footballers and making it look like money. And that's in my opinion about that. And to be honest, he hasn't really recovered from that moment because it's certainly blown back in his face. I think it was also a bit of misdirection because if you look at the way that coronavirus has been handled, I would say that I don't think I'm even being particularly party political here, that you would, the majority of people do not think that the government has handled it well. So by Matt Hancock starting on footballers, he's saying, look over there. Uh, don't look at me, look over there. And he's picking what he thinks is an easy target and telling people to look over there. So that what's going on right over here, where the person who's actually whose responsibility it is, you're not looking at them anymore. 
And I think what you say about money is also important because it's all very well to say people say that football's about money, but actually it's about sport. That's true. But there is a lot of money contingent on football taking place. And we're not just talking about money that goes into the pockets of rich people, although there is also that. We're talking about money that goes into the pockets of people, of football clubs who employ people, who employ people aside from footballers, and who, if these clubs were to find themselves in financial difficulty, and if further down the pyramid, and even in the Premier League, clubs were to go bust, we're talking about a lot of people losing their jobs. And we're talking then about a lot of people who need to find money from somewhere or to ask the state for money, and which will then lead to the state giving money to people and not having money to give in other places where money is required. So the football carrying on, it's not an ideal circumstance that the football is carrying on when there are still new cases of corona. It's not an ideal circumstance that football is carrying on without fans. But if the football doesn't carry on, then the suffering of people, both in terms of the mental health Paul was just referencing now, but also just in terms of financial health, the way that football enables money to be handed out, when we say that, it doesn't mean we think that, or I think that the redistribution of wealth in football is right. I don't. I think people, I think we, I think we pay too much to watch football. I think we pay too much to watch football on television. I think that the people who work for football clubs aren't paid enough. I think that it costs too much money to watch football, and I think that at the same time we need to bear in mind that without football, people who don't have money will have less money, and so there's a balance that needs to be struck between maintaining what people call the integrity of the competition, as though the Premier League has any integrity whatsoever, and it didn't lose its integrity in 1992 when it started, which it did. But the money, what we need to really be doing is we need to be making sure that the money that we get from restarting football goes down the pyramid so that no clubs go to the wall as a result of coronavirus. Because these clubs are community assets. They're people's heritage and they're people's livelihoods. So when we talk about football, we need to remember that we don't just mean the Premier League. And when we talk about money in the game, we're not just talking about filling the pockets of rich Premier League players, which is the way this stuff is often set up. But what we're doing is we're enabling people to carry on working and we're enabling people to carry on earning. And in doing that, we're protecting people's mental health and we're protecting the health of their children, the physical health of their children, so that hopefully one day in the future, we're not sat here saying, what an amazing bloke Marcus Rashford is for making sure that children have a meal to eat. Children have a meal to eat. I mean, that is like head in hands, hands in the air moment. Like what on earth is going on where Marcus Rashford, Man United centre forward, left wing or whatever, has to sit there and think, how can I make sure that three million children have one meal a day? And that is why we should be happy as well that football is starting because in some way we're generating money that hopefully some of which will find its way into the right places. Daniel, can I tell people that you said everything that I thought? Because that was absolutely brilliant what you said there. You've hit the nail on the heads on so many occasions that everything that I think about and the way you delivered that was absolutely spot on that was. Thank you. Brilliant. Not, not words I hear very often. <laughs> I'm going to tell my wife. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also going to echo echo what Paul said there, Daniel. That was a soliloquy of perfection. <laughs> it seems almost ridiculous now to shift it shift it back onto actual football when so many obviously bigger bigger talking points and issues have been raised. But if we might just focus on Manchester United, while I've got you both here, obviously Daniel, you're a Manchester United expert. Paul, obviously a <laughs> former player, a legend of Manchester United, some would say. Um, I just want to know what you want from Manchester United over these remaining, what, nine, ten games or however however long. 
Um, and whether you think Solskjaer is the man to carry you forward or just kind of give me your views of the club, the club as a whole and what you want. For me, first of all, I would say I want them to carry on from where they were before this, um, what's just gone on has gone on, um, happened. I want them to take that on and go on that, go on further and continue that. I, I believe now that they've got a great opportunity to make the Champions League. It's there for them to go and do something. I think the break has done them a massive favour in certain ways. We can talk about momentum, but when you can look at it, you've got now you've got Marcus Rashford back. You know, you think about what they've got in the forward line now. They've got that little bit there now. They've got two, they've got Rashford back. I still believe that in the forward line, there's, that, there's something there. But they've got Paul Pogba's fit and available now. And all you want for him is to, which I believe in, you want him to have a fire in his belly. And if he wants to go, that's fine. As long as his attitude is right and he wants to prove to people that he's that good for them to take him, that's fine because United then can maybe sell him back for as much as they paid for him or maybe more. Someone will take him. But then that means then that he's going to improve that midfield. When I think of a midfield with him, Fernandez, and maybe Fred or Matic in there with them, two players who are bang on form at the, before, before the um, pandemic happened, you say to yourself, that's the best United's midfield has been in many years. And I'm sure Daniel would have an opinion on how many years since we've had a decent midfield. But when you look at it on paper, that midfield, Matic and Fred, and then you look at Fernandez and you look at Pogba, people will say to me about McTominay, I will turn around and say, he's not, he's, he's not there. He's not there for me, in my opinion, of being in a, in a great Manchester United team. But Fred, who... Unbelievable! If if the season when if the season finishes, he'll be the most improved player. Matic has re reinvented himself at Manchester United. Look, he looked like the player who who arrived from Chelsea. That stature, playing six foot three, but plays the game six foot four. The way his head's always up, his movement, the way he finds a passive, progressive pass. I think United have a great a great opportunity to push at the top four. The break, in my opinion, has done them has done them really well. And just to go back to the one one bit which you mentioned, I still believe that Solskjaer is the person for Manchester United at this given time. Yeah, I mainly agree with what Paul said. I think with Ole, um, what people didn't really appreciate at the time when he was employed was that he was. if you employ a manager like him, even if he's brilliant, he's going to need to learn on the job. It's going to take time because he's not been a manager of a club like Manchester United before and he's not dealt with players like the players he was dealing with before, and he inherited a squad that was a mess and it was unbalanced and morale was on its So if you accept the fact that he needs to learn, then start panicking when things aren't going according to plan in the first instance is silly. And also, when United had that period at the beginning of the season when they couldn't score, I felt like if you were actually watching the games, you could see that certain things were improving and that there were circumstances such as like he, he, Pogba's hardly played this season. So if you take the the best player out of any team for that amount of time, you're going to see that there's going to be a problem. Um, if you, and you, I think with all the other managers that have come post Fergie, like personally, like I felt like I wanted them to change the manager when I felt like I'd run out of hope. That you could see when Mourinho got fired that nothing good was going to come of this. Like the like the relationship between him and the players was broken. The relationship between him and the club was broken. 
and it felt like he had lost his enthusiasm, not just for the United job, but for football and life in general. So I felt like Mourinho had to go. The same with Van Gaal. Like Van Gaal, it was very, he, Van Gaal got fired at the end of the season, but it was very clear from about December of that season that it wasn't going to work. He'd signed too many players that were wrong and to change the players um, at that point to then give the same guy the amount of money that it would take to resolve that situation would just be ridiculous when you thought about the good players that he'd let go, the players who weren't good enough that he'd signed and the style of football he was playing. Van Gaal, to me, was very clearly not the man to resolve that. And if you look at Solskjaer, the players that he's bought, each one of them has been a hit. And if they'd have given him more money in last summer, then you might have seen a better United this season because he's clearly worked out what the team needs. And not only that, the thing that links all the players that he's bought in one way or another is mentality. He's not just signing people that are good at kicking footballs. He's signing players who have good attitudes, who are strong, who are calm under pressure. And he's now reaping the rewards because what he's got is the signing of Fernandez has given him a midfield, as Paul said. And even at the end of the Fergie era, when United were still winning titles, they were basically doing it with a solid defence and a lot of variety in attack and not that much in midfield. United didn't sign a midfield player between Owen Hargreaves, who they bought in the summer of 07, I think, and Nick Powell, who they bought in, I can't even remember when, but that it was quite a lot of seasons. So United's midfield had been a problem for years. Then they signed a load of midfield players who weren't good enough in one way or another, Fellaini, Herrera, Schneiderlin, who had some attributes but weren't what was required. And then watching Solskjaer, what it felt like he decided to do was he decided that you build a team from the back. So he sorted out the back four and that with uh, Wan-Bissaka and with Maguire. And that worked. He signed Daniel James because Daniel James was cheap. And then up front, things were starting to work. Like Rashford has gone up a level this season. He's found the best position for Martial. And it felt like if he can get himself a midfield, then you will actually see a pretty good and coherent team. And he eventually got to sign Bruno Fernandes, who has tied everything together. And the one thing I think about Fernandes that I'm concerned about, and this isn't a concern about Fernandes, it's that currently if the United's midfield is Fred, McTominay, and uh, Fernandez, let's say, prior to Pogba coming back. I look at that and I think, if you stop Bruno Fernandez, then you pretty much stop United. The other two are good players, but they're not reliable scorers or creators. So if you put Pogba in there with, let's say, as Paul said, Fred, and you then got a midfield of Fred, um, McTominay, Fred, Pogba, and Fernandez, you're looking at, well, how do you go about stopping Pogba and Fernandez? Then you've got a problem. And my, my concern with it against a good team would be, that Fernandez and Pogba are both high-risk, high-reward players, which means if you're playing a good team and don't give you the ball back very often, you're probably going to be chasing the ball quite a lot because eventually you play through midfield, the ball goes to Pogba or Fernandez, and they try something. And that's exactly what you want them to do. If they try something and it doesn't work and you're playing one of the better teams, then you might not see the ball for a bit. But United's running is not against the better teams. It's against teams they should be. And if you've got a midfield that contains Pogba and Fernandez you should be creating more than enough chances to win almost all of the games. Policy stuff. Let's finish on some quick-fire predictions. Um, I know you mentioned, Paul, that, well, you both did, that they've got a good chance of, of making the top four. Can I ask you, though, for your definitive top fours? Uh, Daniel, maybe if I start with you. Gosh. Uh, Liverpool, Man City, that was enjoyable to say. I would say Leicester and United. But I also think that fifth will be enough for Champions League because I'm everything I'm hearing, and I'm just in general, I'm absolutely certain 
that UEFA do not want this fight in Manchester City because it's not going to be edifying. It's going to go on. It's going to be costly. And no one's going to come out of it looking good. And if they weren't certain that City were bang to rights, they would be swerving this one. So, yeah, I think five, top five will be enough for Champions League. I think United will finish, in, will finish fourth. And going down, I am going to go with Norwich, Brighton, and then the teams between Norwich and Brighton all have much better players than Norwich and Brighton. So it's hard to know what's going to happen. Uh, I love it to be West Ham. So, so say West Ham. I'm, I'm just going to say West Ham. You jumped ahead there. You've done both the predictions we wanted. So, Paul, I'm going to ask you for your top four and your relegation, if I may. I'm going to go with a predictable top four. I'm, going to, I'm not going to worry about the fifth. That will happen if it happens. I'm just going to say Liverpool. Obviously, Man City. I'm going to go Manchester United, Chelsea. Even though Leicester have got a five-point little bit of little bit of space there, I think I just given we don't know what's going to happen behind closed doors. I I just think that with um Chelsea, I think Chelsea will come through, and I fancy them with United relegation, Norwich, Brighton, Aston Villa. Brendan, Brendan Rodgers is going to be gloriously unhappy with you there, Paul. But but we love it. We love it. That's why it's Game of Opinions, because we want hot takes. Um, brilliant stuff to you both. Thanks for joining. Uh, firstly, to you, Paul. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Nice to meet you, Daniel. Love the way you talk, I must say. Really appreciate it. Fantastic. Daniel, that's brilliant praise. <laughs> I know. What can I say? Uh, thank you very much. I loved watching you play right back for United. And, uh, nice to meet you. That's, nice that's, to meet you. That's what, I, that's what I was alluding to. I was trying to force that forward. So I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. You won't be able to see it at home, but Daniel is a glowing shade of crimson right now. It's absolutely glorious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tanned. You You're mean. tanned, yeah. All right, that's it then for another round of Game of Opinions. Uh, we'll be back next week for some more football chatter. Stay safe, everyone. Over and out. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 